Hello, I'm Jackson. And I'm Dylan. And welcome to the Margot Bros Podcast. Today, we'll be discussing Alfred Hitchcock's 1960 thriller, Psycho. Alright, Dylan, can you start us off with a quick plot overview? Sure. So, Marion, the secretary, steals $40,000 from her firm in order to pay off her lover's debts. On her escape route from Phoenix to Los Angeles, she becomes anxious and suspects everyone of knowing her plan. After a violent rainstorm, she pulls over and pays for a night at the vacant base motel, where she meets a troubled Norman and his stuffed birds. What ensues is an edge-of-your-seat thriller and a quest to solve an unspeakable crime. Now, keep in mind, we will be spoiling everything. So, Dylan, what did you think? Now, overall, I thought it was very good. I think the pacing was great, the editing's fantastic, but there are some flaws with it still. Okay, so give me give me an example of a flaw because I think I'm gonna be able to rebut most of these claims. So let me hear a flaw. I think that some of the acting of some people is a bit unrealistic. For example, in the beginning of the movie, when Marion is still at work and a man comes in with forty thousand dollars, this man is the most stereotypical wealthy drunkard man <laughs> he mentions he loves vegas it's the yeah. playground of the world and he says i'm so thirsty and he needs a drink and i think it's just it's a little bit like a little bit playing hitchcock's playing into the stereotype a little bit much yeah so but i think i think that's a necessary plot device because so because the, the film opens um with he's trying to convince the audience that it's necessary for Marion to steal $40,000. So we, t in order for that to happen, three things need to happen. One, we need to like her enough. I mean, and they, I mean, you know, we're, we're a predictable audience. As long as, I mean, I hate to, you know, uh, stereotype our country, but you know, I mean, like, as long as she's basically pretty attractive and nice person, we're basically, and there's a lot of screen time with her, we're gonna fall in love with the character. And so Hitchcock does all that to make her likable. Another thing that has to happen is she has to be in a crisis and we see how money would solve her problems right her her the person she loves has a bunch of debts and so we see why she would steal it and third but most important most importantly the person she's stealing from has to be a bit of a jerk because it needs to be okay we need to accept that so maybe Hitchcock went a step too far in making this Vegas I don't remember his name uh, seller a little bit too over the top but I don't think so. I think especially, it, and the movie was made in 1959, came out in 1960. I think in the late 50s um, that it would be very realistic for someone with a lot of money, a man of that stature and a big cowboy hat to sit on a woman, a secretary's desk and treat her like that. So yeah, I think he plays into a little bit of the tropes of wealthy, um, mean individual, but it is what it is. I mean, I I still enjoy it. It was very entertaining. I just think it's a minor flaw. Overall, it's still a fantastic movie. Okay, so, fantastic movie. Uh, what is one of your favorite parts? I mean, one of my favorite parts is probably the scene when Norman Bates and Marion are having dinner right when she arrives. Yeah. And he has this little monologue about how we're all in our own little cages. Yes. It's very Anakin-esque. That's, that's a good observation. So, um, uh, I'll tell, well, we'll tell the story. Uh, a couple years ago, we were watching Psycho, because uh, this is one of our, this is one of our favorite movies. We've seen it probably five or six times. Uh, always usually watch it around 
October, Halloween time. So we were watching it, and we had just finished our Star Wars marathon, which we do a little so often. We'll definitely do a Star Wars segment on our podcast. But I, w- I couldn't place... I w- we were watching Psycho, and there's this brilliantly written um, uh, scene, dinner scene. We couldn't figure out who Anthony Perkins reminded us of. Reminded us of. And then Dylan said... It is exactly Anakin from Episode Two. Yes, in the in the creepy scenes where the romance part of Attack of the Clones, when they are uh, on Naboo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and he's the lines the lines like this, where she's like, "Don't look at me like that." And he's like, uh, "Like what?" <laughs> and he goes on to these these long, almost Shakespearean soliloquies of passion and troublesome. Tr- and he's troubled, and I I think that um, Chris. Hayden Christensen definitely playing homage to Anthony Perkins. So another favorite scene you like? Um, well, there's the obvious shower scene, which is always entertaining. And yes, I think that I mean it's such a magnificent point of cinema that changed everything. So tell tell me a little bit because you know you know more about the special effects, production design, all that stuff than I do. So tell me a little bit about why that scene's so important or what's something that a lot of people know or don't know about the scene. Well, it took them over a week just to film the sour scene itself. Wow. And for Which is a lot because I because I know um I know that the uh, main actress, uh, her name's escaping me, who played Marion, is uh, she only was on she only worked on the movie for three weeks. So a whole week of that, if if you're saying that's right, a week of that was spent a third of her time was basically spent on this one scene. Yeah, because there were so many parts at play, such as how they wanted the blood to look, how they wanted it to move, how they wanted the music to get in play. There were so many different things that they had to get involved that took them so many tries. Also, it changed how cinema is today. It allowed for a lot more risque things to be in movies, such as there was very infrequent amount of Sure, there really isn't much nudity in that scene, but by nineteen, by late nineteen fifty standards, that was a lot of nudity. Yes, and even though again there obviously isn't contact with the blade in her, but still that was unheard of at the time. Mm-hmm. So seeing it, that, seeing that much of like her midriff or or her unclothed skin and a knife, and what's so brilliant is, I mean that scene arguably I would say, I mean top 10 most memorable scenes of the 20th century in cinema. And I agree. It, and I would say the most memorable murder in film, in entire film history. Definitely. And if you can think of another one by the end of the podcast, feel free, or if anyone can think of something, let us know. But I, I just think from the combination of the music to the yell to the, to the brilliance of it, and what I love is how he uses the music to, sent, to enhance his point. So, for example... Uh, we saw in an interview where the actress was explaining how you know Hitchcock would make a cut every time the knife slashed and every time there was like a, a beat drop sort of in the music. So our brain connects all of the camera cuts and the music cuts and the yelps to oh he's actually slashing her and really we're not really he's not showing any of that but it's just the way he's moving the camera and the way he's inputting and editing the music makes it seem like that which is just truly brilliant. So I have, a, I have a funny story about the shower scene. So the first time I watched this movie, I would say this movie, I've told you this before, is like my introduction to, to film. 
beginning of I hadn't seen really any directors I hadn't seen any Tarantino Scorsese Hitchcock was sort of the first director I sort of fell in love with and I watched him in a film studies class in eighth grade and it's funny because we're all 13 or 12 and we had to get a note home uh, our parents had to sign a note saying that it was okay for us to watch the shower scene because this film is a mature film it's rated R right yeah. So uh, we had to get a parent permission in order to watch the shower scene. Every other scene was fine, but you had to get parent permission to watch the shower scene. I remember there was one kid who wasn't allowed to watch the shower scene. So we got we got to a point where she turns on the shower and we're, uh, our anticipation's building. And then my uh, uh, now past English teachers, she paused the movie and said, "All right." Uh, specific student has to leave now and he, he got up he tried it out he was really disappointed and then after after you know norman cleans up marion's body and um sends her car down in the in the swamp okay she paused it he came back in but i mean that is the greatest the most memorable historic part of the movie so yeah so that was that was disappointing i would be very disappointed if i didn't see the shower scene in psycho and Hitchcock would be even more disappointed. Tell tell why Hitchcock would be disappointed if you couldn't see a section of the movie. Oh yeah. Well, this was very new. Th- this is one of the first times ever that they put this policy before a movie. But in order to gain gain attraction for people to go to the movie, he made this rule at all movie theaters that if you showed up late to see Psycho, you wouldn't be let in. You had to be there at the very beginning. Yep. And. That was really smart because it enticed people as like you got to see everything. This must be really good movie if I, you can't miss the first twenty minutes. Yes, it uh, it made it something mysterious. It made it something um, abnormal that people were intrigued by. The only downfall of this we saw in this uh, in a little docu segment was that it made the critics mad because there were no pre screenings of the movie because he wanted he, he Hitchcock made movies for the public. He didn't make it for critics, so he wanted it to be really mysterious. He didn't want to know. He didn't want to tell any of the critics that Mrs. Bates actually wasn't a person because that's a pivotal plot device. And he knew that if there was a pre-screening, somehow that would be spoiled um, in a review by critics. So he didn't let there. There was no pre-screenings of the movies, so all the critics had to see it on opening day. And so uh, the writer, one of the writers, thinks that the reason why the movie got actually a lot of bad reviews originally was because all the critics were disgruntled that they had to go to a movie theater like everyone else and not just watch it at a screening. Well, yeah, also to add to that mystery factor, he also got his casting person to send out lists of who they needed for the movie, and uh-huh. on those lists included an actor for Mrs. Bates to confuse the acting agencies and to get the public to think that she actually was alive and to really trick that audience, yes. which definitely is, added. Yeah, so... Another um, thing I'd like to I'd like to bring up. Uh, we'll do a little segment. Uh, Quentin Tarantino is one of our is one of our favorite directors, and uh, just this most recent time we watched Psycho, we noticed how m- there's a couple things that uh, he really used that Tarantino is paying homage to in, from Psycho in Pulp Fiction. So, to give me an example of one of those, Dylan. So one of these scenes is. Right when Marion's leaving, mm-hmm. and she is driving in her car, and she looks through the the dashboard or the windshield, I mean, yep. and she sees her boss and the man who we talked about earlier, the Vegas guy, yeah. and that is basically the exact same thing as 
in Pulp Fiction when um when in Pulp Fiction when Bruce Willis's character Butch. Butch is driving away from picking up the watch, watch the gold watch at his house and he sees Mars uh what's his name Marcellus Wallace that yeah and it's just like the exact same thing all right so uh that's a that's a fun detail so we're going to take a little uh little detour here we have this little segment we'll be developing more segments as we go along but our first segment is going to be called Jackson's Trivia Trio and so I'm going to explain this segment to you we'll see we'll see how many episodes we do this for before Dylan loses interest so I'm going to ask an easy a medium and a hard question on my notes I wrote easy medium and large easy medium and hard question to Dylan and he's probably not going to get the hard he probably won't even get the medium he might not even get the easy but the way it works is uh if he doesn't get all three, the first person to shout at to uh, let me reset that first person to give all to DM us to, um, on well, Instagram. So, well, we're, yeah, to DM us, we'll probably make an Instagram post that we publish this podcast on Brobash. So the first person to comment, the first person to comment all three of these answers. So you can just write um, the three words or the couple of words. Enter, 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 and comment that or dm us the first person to do that we will shout them out in our next podcast and we'll be doing a lot of podcasts so that should be in the near future so you'll get a shout out from the most popular podcast the margo rose podcast but it should be fun all right you ready mr dylan i am totally ready okay easy question here we go what is the two-letter nickname of the man in charge of every shot in this movie I'm going to ask it one more time. Okay? You, I'm looking at his face. He seems stunned. Okay. What? Okay, here we this go. is the easy question? This is the easy question. What is the two-letter nickname? So, the answer is just going to be two letters. Two-letter nickname. Of the man in charge of every shot in this movie. So, I'll help him with the first one. Usually, I'll lead him in the direction. So, who's in charge of every shot in a movie? The director. Okay. So Alfred Hitchcock. Which is not two letters. No, no. What is the two-letter nickname? Two-letter nickname. So what's the what's the guy's name? Mister. All right. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you one last guess, and but I'm not but I'm not gonna say what the answer is because you're gonna have to comment it. All right. Two-letter nickname of the man in charge of every shot in the movie. Do you know it? I have no clue. All right. Eh. I know. I have no clue. It's not right. Okay. So which means because this guy that was also a little striking, maybe too hard for easy. So, because Dil- uh, Dylan didn't get it, you guys have a chance at a shout-out. Okay, medium. Finish this quote. I shouldn't even bother changing the sheets, but blank. Old habits die hard. See, there we go. We got the medium. Well done. Well done. Do you remember what scene that's in? Yes, that is when the private investigator comes up. And uh, Arbogast is interviewing. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a funny scene when Arbogast is interviewing Norman Bates. And the what way type of name is Arbogast? I don't know. But the way he's stuttering, um, the way Norman stutters in that scene is it's profound acting. It defined his career. All right. Hard question. Here we go. In addition to all of his stuffed birds in the motel, what other stuffed animal do we see on Norman's bed in the main house? You want me to repeat that one more time? Yeah. Okay. In addition to all of his stuffed birds in the motel, okay, all his stuffed birds, what other stuffed animal do we see on Norman's bed in the main house? 
This is a hard question. I have to it's either a rabbit or a bear because I remember it. I just can't. Yeah, well, make it, take a guess. Um, tough rabbit. Yeah, good job. Wow, I'm surprised you got the medium and the hard, but you didn't get the easy. Well, I'm not going to tell you what the easy is. So now, guys, all you have to do, you just comment the answer to the first one, which is, what is the two-letter nickname of the man in charge of every shot in this movie? And then you just need to write, old habits die hard, and then stuff rabbit, and then comment, shout out. Comment that. Search for the Margot Bro, Margo underscore bros Instagram account, and you will find our first post and comment under that post the answer and you will get a shout out on our story yes awesome okay all right so that was a fun little segment did you enjoy that that was very fun okay all right so um we're gonna just jump back into things i'm gonna ask you some questions so dylan what is your favorite who is your favorite character in the in the film um I mean, I I gotta go with Norman Bates. He's he's just the best. His acting's phenomenal. He always severely adds to the scene, and um, he's just really great. Like the stuttering that we talked about earlier, it really makes his character seem like he's nervous at all times. Yeah, it's Anthony Perkins just does a phenomenal job with that character. I absolutely agree. I also think it's hard because, you know, we're, we fall into the same literary tropes and styles all the time and film techniques. And so it's easy for the audience to, whoever we've seen the most, whoever we've seen in the most scenes, for us to root for. It's why the mob movies work so well because it's easy for us to root for the villain because we spend more time with the villain than the good guy who's being antagonized. So, for Hitchcock to start off with Marion for the first third of the movie and then pivot the main the main character to Norman Bates a third of the way through the movie and for us to feel that compelled by him shows how brilliant his directing is and how well he was able to take the script that he got and change the book that is written and put it on the screen. And so I think the fact that we're that compelled by Norman Bates is, is pretty impressive. Yeah, the writer really did a fabulous job modifying the book because originally Psycho was a book. Yeah. And modifying the book into a movie because the book, what, instead of having Norman Bates as this skitty, sort of quirky man who was attractive. I mean, Anthony Perkins is an attractive individual. I mean, yeah. He's yeah. fine looking. Um, in the book, he was this sort of overweight stuffy man dirty yeah and he you don't really care about this person at all it's easy to antagonize or villainize the uh literary norman bates yeah but it's really the opposite of the movie which i think really really makes the movie and it also you know if if hitchcock had made norman bates a you know really an old and overweight not kind man who didn't seem troubled at all it would be easy for us to say oh he's somehow the bad guy even if it didn't make logistical sense but because we're so compelled and we feel trapped like in that monologue you said he feels trapped like his stuffed birds in the motel at the Bates Hotel because we feel a connection to him at least I the first time was you know startled to know that he was connected to the murders Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so I have, I have a question for you. Is there anything you would change? Let's say you could teleport, or I guess teleport. Time travel. Time travel. Back to 1959, they're finishing production. Any scene you take out, scene you add? No. no. I think that as it is, it's fantastic. It's really good. I mean, I think that if you took out a pin, the whole thing would fall down. Very true. I also think that um, people, not people, there's a scene, maybe I'm mistaken, but I remember there's a scene in uh, Pitch Perfect, I know, a great film, uh, that where one of the characters talks about how powerful music is in, is in cinema. Totally agree. And he talks about, I think, Breakfast Club and Jaws and Rocky. He might have mentioned Psycho, but I don't really think he does. And I think that that is just a sham that he doesn't mention it because without the music, Psycho would not be an excellent movie. This, the music, the, the pacing of the music makes this this film extraordinary. I so agree. 100%. I think that the most important thing, the, the most important single addition would be the music. You could not lose the music and yeah. still have, have this movie would not carry on to what it is today. When you hear that, no, 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 you just. I mean, I get that's my jaws, but well, not dun dun. You know what I mean, though. Yeah. Dun 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 dun. dun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Um. So yeah. Uh. Do you think it is overrated? No. I. I also don't think anyone is overrating, and I think that nowadays, good cinema is falling apart, and now. Oh, all right, Mr. Curmudgeon. Why is good cinema falling apart? I think that now youths are youths you know, <laughs> label your own generation youths are not watching these really great old movies okay but i'm gonna i'm gonna start right there when youths as you say watch these old movies the movies that they watch are psycho okay psycho i don't know if rocky quite an old movie but i'd say psycho are is the movie rear window vertigo uh uh, North by Northwest. When you just people, listed Hitchcock. No, I'm saying when people are watching old Hitchcock movies. Oh yeah. These are the, these are the ones that they're watching. Okay. Or, or they're watching Casablanca. This is a movie when when we think of old, when we think of movies that are the greatest of all time. This is a movie that comes up in the conversation all the time. Do you think it deserves to be in that conversation? Yes. Why? Because I think that it truly masters the art of suspense. Yeah. Sure. And I think that even though. Sure, there isn't the gore like in normal mo- in modern day movies, and sure, it's sort of a little bit of a different style of movie making than nowadays. It's a bit slower at times. Mm-hmm. I still think that it really has that high level of suspense, and I think it's just fantastic in that way. I just think it works because if there was Tarantino level or Scorsese level gore, uh, we would really antagonize the murders. And it's not that we don't. I mean, we're horrified by the shower scene, although we are, as human beings, curious and interested in how it went, how it all went out. Because everything is so chic and black and white and clean, it doesn't seem as much of a vulgar murder, at least to me. It seems more pins and needles than it seems dirty. Do you get what, I'm, do you get what I mean by well, that? Yeah. I mean, most people know this, but I'll say it anyway, is that, I mean, color, color film was prevalent at this time it's not like we're still in the black and white era he just chose to do that so it would cost less money and i think that artistically it was a great choice because the shadows the shadows 
the way that last seat is where you turn around and it's her skeleton mm -hmm. couldn't really have been done if yes. it was in color. Which is part of the reason why the remake doesn't work. Uh, and, you know, the remake was made, was written by the same guy, and you can tell because it's the same. We're not going to discuss that movie that much because we're, we're focusing more on the original in this one. Um, and it's just... Uh, Nah, it's not terrible, but it's it, it's disrespectful. There's a lot of choices in that movie that are just incorrect. Uh, uh, yeah, I'd say incorrect. Uh, casting Vince Vaughn as Anthony Perkins, Norman Bates was was just laughable at best. I think the idea there was because he was a familiar, likable face was what they were going for, as opposed to someone like Anthony Hopkins, who's a, cre a creepy guy. Uh, but at the same time. Uh, I don't know if Vince Vaughn is a five-star actor the way Tony Perkins was, and so it, it doesn't come off. But we, we're not going to get so much in this, into the, the Psycho remake. Uh, I, all I'll say is if you're going to watch a Psycho movie, you should watch <laughs> the original. So do you think this is Hitchcock at, its, at his best? No. No. What, I think that Vertigo is a better film. You think that Vertigo is a better film? I think that we'll go briefly because we're not gonna because we'll probably do a, a video on a video a podcast on Vertigo because it is one of our shared favorites. But uh, why, but you still when I say it had its best, do you mean I mean sorry I mean one of his best? At, oh, it's one of his best, it. definitely. I mean, up there, top three, we have like Vertigo, Psycho, not in any order. Vertigo, Psycho, and. I don't know, maybe The Man Who Knew Too Much. The Man Who Knew Too Much, which is underrated, underspoken. And that's a that's a movie that I feel has kind of fallen through the cracks of time. Uh, I think uh, it is in the shadow of Rear Window and North by Northwest by critical acclaim, although it is a far more compelling movie, in my opinion. Uh, but more on that later when we're, we'll probably go through all the Hitchcock films. Uh, I think part of the reason why Vertigo is better than Psycho is there's a double twist, and... Um, because because of the artistic choices he made in this, which makes Psycho stand out, it falls a little flat to Vertigo just because we're with uh, the Jimmy Stewart character the entire time. There's a double twist, two ways that the plot changes, and even though it's uh, even though the scenes are maybe less famous compared to the shower scene and falling down the stairs, I think that the idea of I think that the idea of this woman uh, becoming, I think that this the idea of this woman becoming uh, her great grandmother mentally is somehow more compelling, at least to me, than uh, the man turning into his mother. But that's a story for another day. Okay, so final, let's do a little final thoughts here. How many stars out of five would you give it, Dylan? Five. Five stars. Excellent movie. Yes. Okay, final thesis. Let's hear it. I think that the movie is not just compelling but a work of art and everyone needs to watch it at one point in their life this is a movie you need to see before you die and even if you know what's happened at the end sure the twist isn't as good it's not going to be as great of a movie for you if you haven't if you already know what happens but i still think you should give it a shot because i think that still just seeing how everything plays out seeing the amazing acting the amazing music i think you'll really enjoy it all right and then for me uh, not only do I think it's a five-star movie, I think it's actually my 12th favorite movie of all time. I think that if I had to say, you know, there's 15 movies you need to watch before you die, or 20 movies, or maybe even 10, because it's so classic, this would be in that list. I think that the pacing is phenomenal. Each time I watch it, I become more and more compelled, and there's I have more 
unanswered questions. And when I say unanswered questions, I don't mean editing mistakes. I mean more questions about the timeline and the choices Hitchcock made. And also I have more questions answered each time. Uh, there are holes filled in about Norman Bates' character. And when I say holes, I don't mean like gaping writing holes. I mean perfect hidden gems. And so I would say we both say it's five out of five. Then that, that's all there is to it. It's rare that we find a movie not only that uh, we both agree on, but both of us think is excellent. Yeah. And so it's nice. It, so we're going to start off on a... Is it on any streaming platforms right now? Uh, I don't I don't believe so. Yeah, uh, so... We watched it on a on a digital DVD that kept... that kept a, Every time we tried to press pause, it would, it would jump to the start. So that was frustrating. And it was a new DVD disc. It, we, we bought it only like three years ago. So anyway... Um, but definitely watch it. So, so I, th I think that that's about it. Uh, thanks for listening. I'm Jackson. I'm Dylan. And we are the Margot Bros. Cut!